1. Matthew chapter 28, we'll begin with verse 1, and I will read the entire chapter down verse uh, 20. If by chance you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, uh, please feel free to use the Bibles that are in the pews there. And uh, I don't know, Charles, were you going to put it up on the screen? He might have the scriptures up there for that. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 down through 20. Now after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are disused, he was condemned, and he was crucified. The whole world had heard that Jesus, the one who claimed to be the Savior of the world, could not save himself. The word spread quickly, and the whole world now believed that Jesus is dead. The whole world believed that it's over. The whole world had joined together in the cry of condemnation, and the devil who despised him even believed that he had won a victory. Those who had loved him, those that followed him close, everyone was convinced it's over. Jesus was crucified, he's dead, and he is buried. Now we come to Easter morning, three days later, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and the ground began to shake, and the stone was rolled away, and his body was not there. It was on that third day that everyone now knew that the tomb was empty, but no one knew what happened. Everyone was fully aware that the dead man is now gone, but no one knows what has happened to him. Not a single soul in the whole world knew that Jesus was alive until the angels told Mary and Mary and Mary and Salome. And they, in fact, went to tell the other disciples. And from there, the transition continued to go. No one had known. Certainly none of the Jews, uh, none of Jesus' own disciples were aware of his resurrection until God himself created a plan, a means, 
of communicating that truth. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28 again. And we find that not only was that truth beginning to be spread, but as we read earlier, we see that in verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. That is, they knew that the body was gone, the stone was rolled away. They knew of the appearance of the angels, but they did not know what happened to Jesus. And so they spread a lie, a truth, because their desire and intent was to be honest, to be clear, to be specific to the chief priests, the rulers, and they paid them off. You can't tell anybody. You can't let this truth get out. We've got to stop it. We've got to seal it. We've got to intervene. I don't know if they knew what they were up against. Obviously not. But up until this time, we realize there's a story of truths, but there's also a story of lies. And we today live in a world and a generation in which there's probably more than two versions. There's probably more than simply a yes or no. There's a mixture of several factors in between. We live in a world where people are caught between knowing and simply assuming or repeating what someone else said or buying into the latest opinion or ideas. The truth is, Jesus himself has told us. The Gospel of John clarifies throughout these stories, along with the Gospel according to Mark and Luke just as well, that Jesus has risen from the dead. The point we need to humbly consider as we approach uh, this great celebration time uh, in in our lives, and and particularly I, I trust in our personal lives, is that still today there's all kinds of versions, there's all kinds of belief systems we mention. Some people rely simply on rumors. The stories spread, the ideas are promoted, all of these things begin to go from, from ear to ear and from mouth to mouth, and we communicate these things, but many times it's a mount of simply the rumors that have spread as to what it is about Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever met someone recently who has never heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. I just talked to someone two days ago. They have never heard. Had no idea who Jesus was. Shall we take the opportunity to leave them up for what the rumors may be? Shall we allow them to simply remain without knowing the truth? Some simply remain relying on rumors I know I remember clearly as as a young man, and I was beginning to come to faith uh, several years ago, and I began realizing that many people, their idea of God, their views of what is true, and where to find that truth is kind of a vague idea, or simply just a journey in the world of imagination to simply create your own ideas, your beliefs, your own opinions. And I realize some people are satisfied simply believing what somebody else told them. There are those that they rely more on reasoning. In other words, we think about what God could do, and that becomes what we believe it is. What we would like God to do, and that's what we believe it is. What we would hope God is really like, and we create that and establish that as our belief system. There's a way of concluding by simply reasoning through the process that maybe we can come up with the idea 
about what is called truce. And of course, there are plenty of those that are flat out deceived. Some have a dream, some another hear about uh, what somebody else's version is. Some people write books, some people look on the internet. I don't know where our source of truth may be, but there's always someone who has a good answer. And they tell you they've got it from a credible source. The devil is not slow about twisting truth and tampering with those ideas in our minds or creating his own version of what we might call true. Even so, I trust we could humbly consider that as many as they claim to be a separate version, I trust we realize that Jesus, the way he presented it, is he told his disciples, is it not written about me in the prophets, the Psalms, and in the books of Moses? Jesus himself allowed the word of God to validate, affirm, and confirm everything he stood for. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke at the very end, and we'll simply just read a few verses to help illustrate that God has not only revealed himself, but he's revealed himself in the very beginning of time. And he has nuggets of truth all through the Scriptures that point in this direction and validate those truths and confirm it and affirm it in our lives. I trust that our belief system is not based on simply some idea that someone else may have created, or simply some idea that somehow managed to work into our minds, or worse yet, that we have bought into the devil's whispering. His ideas, his versions of what it is. In Luke chapter 24, I simply want to uh, uh, look at a few verses. As Jesus is attempting to communicate and reveal himself, this is after he rose from the dead, he's walking with two people who were followers of him, but they were confused, because all their hope and all their confidence was in Jesus himself. Yet they watched him die. They had heard about his burial. Their assumption was, it's over. Jesus simply appears with them, Let's look at uh, uh, verse 19 as they're conversing back and forth. And Jesus says, what things are you questioning about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, verse 22, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Notice so far. They've mentioned three credible sources to know what happened to Jesus. But Jesus says in verse 25, He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning 
himself. You and I are a people that we depend upon truth if we want the promises in truth. We depend upon truth if we want to know the truth that sets us free. We depend upon truth if we want to be a people that are followers of Jesus Christ. The other option is simply to reach into a bag and pull it out and call it truth if it feels good. We might buy into all kinds of rumors. We may think it through and rationalize what we really believe God is trying to say or would like us to say. We can create all kinds of responses, but it's the truth that changes lives. And that's what Jesus Christ gave. And he didn't simply come and say, I have a new idea of truth. He simply refers to the truth that has been preserved and blessed from the beginning of time. That he wants us to reach into its richness, its fullness, its completeness. Because truth itself validates truth and truth itself builds upon truth. And truth itself is what holds all the pieces together. The secret to a changed life, to experience the beauty of Christ, is truth on the inside of our hearts. Now Jesus, after his resurrection, had showed himself alive to approximately 500 of his followers over a period of 40 days. He was specifically speaking about the kingdom of God, The book of Acts teaches us that. And one of those conversions was, uh, conversations was particularly to the Apostle Peter. Turn with me to the end of the book of John now. Again, we're touching upon a resurrection account. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's communicating to uh, uh, Peter pertaining to the kingdom of God, and the importance of what he ought to do at this particular point. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I want to begin looking at verses 15 and drop down to uh, verse 22. Now, when they had finished eating, that is, Jesus has been raised from the dead, they're out fishing, and uh, Jesus uh, communicates to his disciples that they obviously haven't caught any fish. He speaks from the shore. He says, cast your net on the other side, and you will catch fish. They catch so many fish, they have a difficulty getting the fish into shore, and John discovers by putting two and two together. That's Jesus. As Jesus speaks with Peter, he says in verse 15, when he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again in verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back on Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered in verse 22, if I want him to remain until I am alive, or alive until I return, what is that to you? Again, he said, you must follow me. Jesus is challenging Peter, and of course he's challenging each and every one of us. There's a tendency to measure our purpose in life or our responsibility as Christians based on what we might see others doing, or what we believe that maybe their role or their place in ministry is. The purpose of the resurrection is that each and every one of us might recognize, first of all, that there is a purpose and calling upon our lives. That resurrection was intended to not only be the evidence that what Jesus did on the cross will save me from my sins. It's not only the evidence that he was buried and put our past finished, but he's also rising again to give you and I a new life. And that new life isn't simply just, I'm going to start life over again and try to do things better this time. But that new life is a new identity. It's a whole new role. It's a whole new outlook. And it has something to do with loving and taking care of sheep. It has something to do with allowing our faith to become not only precious and personal, but it is to have an impact and overflow of some way or some form to others. Peter's obviously wondering, well, what about John? And Jesus wants Peter to understand that love is supposed to be more than simply something you keep for yourself. It is to be given away. Even today, there are many particular versions about what this death, burial, and resurrection is really all about. There are many different ideas, whether they seem to be rumors or they happen to be some kind of rational kind of reasoning process about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to give ourselves to Christ? There's many versions. Jesus himself, again, says this is what it's all about. He teaches his disciples, he teaches every one of us that our faith was intended to be given away. Our faith was intended to not only begin to do something in our lives, but that inside evidence, that truth, that work of God is intended to be shared. We realize that when we grow up in church or we uh, are involved in Christian communities or we kind of get the idea of what we hear Christianity is all about, we ultimately end up that there are, are some, they focus a lot on learning. We love to go to Bible studies. We love to be involved in, in, in much of the talk, the conversations about what this faith is about, and we're constantly learning. We want to go to seminars. We want to go through experiences where we are engaged in the knowledge and information about what Jesus has done for us and how that fits together in all of the things he accomplished. And we can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. James Chapter 1 says something about that. Please turn with me to the 
book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1 in verses 22 through 25. We find numerous scriptures, once again, that teach us that the essence of what this life is about and what it means to follow become clearer and clearer as, again, we look throughout the scriptures to find the foundation of what this life is about. James chapter 1, 22 through 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We could equate that to looking upon the world and seeing all the needs, the heartache, the brokenness, the confusion in the world, and forgetting what it really looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what he does. The secret to the Christian life is to tap into the richness of that blessing. That you and I not only spend our sufficient time learning the teachings, the core beliefs in which Jesus Christ has laid down to us and clarified to us through the authority of the apostles. We have the Word of God that has been tested and tried. It has been documented and it has been truly blessed by God as we cherish these truths. But the secret is to take that truth and put it into our hands and put it into our feet to exercise it, to utilize it. And so as Jesus communicated uh, this and he uses James to express to us that following Jesus is not only learning all the right answers, as important as that is, we need to allow our lives to move in to the right place. Some would go the opposite and say it's all about the doing and it's not about the knowledge. We need the knowledge and then we need the application. We need a combination of those two. Otherwise, we might just buy into the latest fad or the newest movement or the idea of whatever the rumors or the rational thinking may be. But the, again, there may be some that focus simply not just on the learning or the engaging in that, but some might be simply or entirely focused on simply keeping ourselves from being stained by the world. We all know that there have been movements throughout the history of the church that we know that God has not only uh, paid for our sins and cleansed us of all that unrighteousness, but there may be a tendency to believe that the secret to life is to not get more dirt on us, to be careful about where we go and how we live, and those things are important. But our purpose, once again, is to not simply make sure I get to heaven, but it's to see how many others we can bring with ourselves. The concept of separation or or consecration or holiness sometimes has been really confused and, and pulled out of proportion to where we have somehow allowed all that Jesus means to us to simply mean something just to me. Jesus alluded to this in Matthew chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5, we'll look at verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There may be some that focus a lot on the learning aspect. It's about the personal relationship with God. There's others that focus on a faith that somewhat is concerned primarily about ourselves, but it may not reach out into the world around us. Some may even focus or simply uh, uh, focus on waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for the right moments, waiting to share our faith with the right people, waiting for the right power waiting for the right words to say. There's always a waiting. We understand we need to be a people prepared with the message of life. We need to be a people that are cleansed by that aspect of that personal relationship with Christ. We also need to be a people that wait for God to allow His Holy Spirit to rest upon us. But at some point, we can keep waiting, keep waiting, waiting for something, the right thing. Jesus alluded to this in Matthew chapter 20 in one of his parables. Matthew chapter 20, we look beginning at uh, uh, verse 1, as he's talking about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Notice in verse 1 it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out about in his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace, I like how it says, doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and he found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Nothing. And I realize the application to that parable might be a little bit different than that way I've used it, but I like how it simply just gives the punch. What are you doing? Nothing. Waiting for someone else to create the right environment, the right setting, the right move. You and I know that Jesus walked out of that tomb triumphantly, and that triumphal uh, aspect of his life has been granted to you and I, every single one of us. Let's go back to the original place we started in Matthew chapter 28 as I try to pull these thoughts together. Our purpose is to realize that you and I were born to reach other people. You and I were called by God to be His unique messengers. You and I have a story to tell, a testimony to bear. And what God has done in our life is to be shared with every single other people that we bump into. And we can get caught in the movements or the currents or the trends. We can begin to develop uh, ideas and formulate uh, patterns in our life that simply just kind of goes with where everybody else is going. The resurrection account is really for a personal purpose, but it's also a corporate purpose. And that is that we might humbly ask God to take us with all of our flaws and all of our imperfections, with all of the past stories, the horrors that we've come through, and allow Him to take us and empower us and bless us and give us a new hope and a new song and a new story to tell. And then we could take what He has given us and give it to the world. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 28 
at, in verses 18 down through 20. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. He's walked out as a champion with a reputation of losing. And he looks in the eyes of his disciples on this one moment. He says, I've gained the victory, and I'm giving it to you. Verse 18, I'll read it again. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. Here we see the essence of what following Jesus Christ ultimately was intended to be. The questions that might rest or, or remain within our minds and hearts today is have we come to the place we recognize when Jesus says all authority has been given, that you and I have come to the place where our lives are under that authority? Have we come to acknowledge that Jesus not only came to save us, but he is our Lord? He is the one we aim to please, we aim to serve. He is the one that we acknowledge in his rightful place. A second thing is, have we committed ourselves to the complete teachings of Scripture? Because coming to this truth, Jesus himself said, if you hold to my teachings, then you're truly my disciples. And if you, then you will know the truth, and that truth will set us free. We look at the gospel presentation in verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then down in 20, teaching them, to obey everything I have commanded. You and I don't need to reinvent what needs to be taught. You and I don't need to come up with all kinds of creative messages and topics and everything else. The teachings are written down for us. And that, in essence, is what the whole process of, of being a follower of Christ is, that we're not trying to teach what we want to teach. We're teaching what Jesus taught. We have been entrusted to be uh, uh, faithful to his message and his words, and we simply choose to commit ourselves as followers to not only receive these teachings, but to learn how to share those teachings. The third thing is, have we been baptized? We go into all nations baptizing them. Baptism. Obviously, as we looked at even this morning, we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, is baptism, in essence, is we believe that the one who died, buried, and rose again is what happens to you and I. We die in Christ, we're buried in Christ, and we are raised to life in Christ, to new life. We identify with what he did, and we identify in such a way that our life is a living expression of that kind of faith is have we come to the place where we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, but He is the one who has paid for every single sin in our life. And He has granted us the power to live a new life. Ultimately, have we humbly received the Holy Spirit? His disciples were sent to do this great task in the power of the Holy Spirit. Have we come to a place where we humbly have acknowledged that doing this simply for doing it, we're not going to be very successful. Simply choosing to say, 
I agree with what he says is not going to give you the resources. You and I need the Spirit of God living and dwelling and working in our lives. First of all, that truth becomes personal. Second of all, that purity becomes my identity. And thirdly, we're going to need power. When you look at the world around you and you see all the struggles and all the challenges and all the resistance to the truth, the Spirit of God has granted us that His purpose will prevail, that the people that God has prepared, you and I will reach them. The question doesn't become how all that works. The question is, are we ready to not simply be like in the parable of the vineyard and say, we're waiting around doing nothing? But I trust as God's grace is working in uh, so many lives and as many of you have begun to launch out in a kind of faith to, to live that life and to share that life, we trust that the blessing and favor will rest upon us. The rest of us, let's join the race. It's not only a rumor that Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. It's a reality. And how do you know? It's your story. It's your life. It's your identity, and it's our calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the rich.